Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Tuesday, July 20th, 2021. This is Shannon, and today I am here with Stacy and Brooke, and we are kind of shaking up the Book Bistro experience. We usually record like in the evening, like at 9 p.m. Eastern time, but we are hanging out here on a Tuesday afternoon. This is like one of the very few podcasts we've done in the middle of the day. But we are here to highlight some of our favorite authors of color. So I'm going to get into the usual housekeeping information. Then I will start us off, followed by Brooke and then Stacy. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first book today is probably more of a Brooke book than a Stacy book. In fact, I think there's no probably about it. Like it just is. But this book is amazing for a couple of reasons. First off, it is the author's debut novel. Second of all, she wrote it when she was 18 and a freshman in college. And it was published in June of this year, right as she graduated from college. So she is just an amazing human being who I hope will have many fantastic stories um, to tell us. That's so cool. Yes, it is. This is Ace of Spades. It is by Farida Abike Amide. And it is a story that is not set in any one place. Like she keeps the location very neutral and for some reason this did not bother me I don't like unnamed narrators but neutral settings can sometimes work really well for me so this is the story of two high school students Um, there's Chi who is this really smart very driven black girl and she wants to be like the top of her class She wants to go to med school. She has all of these these big dreams for herself. And she's pretty ruthless when it comes to achieving these dreams. And then we have Vaughn, who is kind of cheese opposite in in most ways. Um, He is a musician. Like his favorite class has to do with music. And he's hoping to be able to go to Juilliard. But his, his attendance isn't fantastic. His grades are not necessarily as good as they could be. But he still hopes that he can get to, to Juilliard. So the book starts at the beginning of their senior year. And they are both chosen as sort of like the head students of their year. And they, she is like really about this. Like this is what she's always wanted. It's kind of the next step toward her, you know, eventual goals. And Vaughn doesn't quite know what he thinks about this. He thinks like it's a lot of responsibility. It's going to take away from his music. He doesn't know. Now, both she and Vaughn have secrets. And these secrets are things that you learn as the book goes on. But it becomes clear very, very fast that they're not as secret as she and Vaughn think they are because somebody who calls themselves aces begins sending text messages, not only to Chi and Vaughn, but to the whole school, basically divulging in little bits and pieces 
these secrets that oh. she and Vaughn are keeping. Now, they, they don't understand why they have been targeted. Like, sure, you know, they are like the, the head students, but there are other really successful kids in their class. There are other people who in some ways like would seem to have more to lose than Vaughn and Chi. So no one really understands like why this is happening. And so the two of them kind of reluctantly team up to try and figure out who Aces actually is. And obviously I can't tell you who it is, but what I can tell you is that on the surface, this is a really fun and twisty young adult thriller. Like it gives you everything that you love in a book like this, like the fancy boarding school, the kind of like secret society that kind of borders on a cult. Um, you know, just all of the, the super twists that you come to expect. But if you look beneath the surface of this and you actually absorb the story that the author is telling, you see that there are actually a lot of really deep and important issues that she's tackling. And I can't say too much more than that without seriously spoiling things, which would be a huge shame. Um, this book came out in June of 2021 and it is masterful. I mean, it's masterful anyway, but if you consider that this is like the debut novel of a girl who was 18 years old at the time that she wrote it, it makes it just like so much more masterful. Um, I highly recommend it if you're looking for something twisty, something that will keep you really engaged on the edge of your seat. Um, I would say that if you are sensitive to certain content, um, this might not work for you. So please do your own research and look at the content warnings because I cannot give them to you without um, spoiling this book. So this is Ace of Spades and it is by Farida Akibe Amide. I really want to read this book. It's you my... really should read this. So my first book today is The Chosen and the Beautiful by oh. Ni Vo. And this is a retelling of The Great Gatsby. It's written from the perspective of Jordan Baker. And um, Jordan Baker is, she's part of the wealthy um, class. She um, was adopted. So she's Vietnamese and she was adopted by a white family, a very wealthy white family. And so she has, she's able to go to a lot of the choice parties and to get in with the, the in crowds and stuff. But at the same time, Jordan feels like a bit of an outsider. And she also feels that some people just kind of see her as almost an attraction because she is both Asian, of Asian descent, and she is also queer. And so I really liked how the book followed. So it, it, it went true to Great Gatsby. But at the same time, it also tackled some issues that aren't tackled in the original. And I also felt that it was written. Um, I, would, I would love to have read this in high school and not, um, F was it FJ Fitzgerald or? Uh, F Scott Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Yeah, I can remember. <laughs> I can remember his initials. Yeah, so I, I think I would have loved to have read Nevo's um, rendition a lot more. I think I would have, um, I think I would have understood it a little bit better. And I also feel like I would have um, connected a little better with the characters. So another um, aspect that is different in her, in her like retelling is that there is some magic to it. Um, Jordan, um, she practices paper magic and one of kind of the downfalls or like the kind of the, not the great part about this book is that it doesn't really just explain the magic system that well, which made me really kind of sad. Like, cause I kind of wish that there was gonna be, I guess there really couldn't be 
kind of a second book to the thing, but it almost feels like there needs to be in order for everything to wrap up. Cause I really felt like we didn't truly understand the magic system in it. Um, I really enjoyed the interactions between Jordan and like the relationship between Jordan and Daisy. And I liked um, how they looked at like what kind of things is Gatsby now that he has gotten possession of this paper magic, like what, like what's he going to do with it? So this is The Chosen and the Beautiful and it's by Ni Vo. And I really, really enjoyed it. I am not a Gatsby fan, just in general. I read it in high school and in college, and I was just kind of like, blah. But the idea of kind of a queer, like magical version of that story, that could be really awesome. So the first book that I'm going to talk about today is not a twisty thriller, and it is not a retelling. Although I do love retellings. This, however, is a book that I talked about in the April Picks episode and read immediately upon its release and loved and cried and just, oh my God, I loved it so much. So I'm talking first about Road to Rose Bend, Rose Bend number one by Naima Simone. And This is my first book by this author, and it was just such a gorgeous, 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 gorgeous contemporary romance. It won't be the last I read by her. This book focuses on Sydney, and Sydney has a bit of a reputation in her hometown of Rose Bend, being a bit of a wild child. And, you know, she, she left eight years ago to kind of get rid of that sort of stigma and to move on with her life. Um, She was mourning the death of her sister and she's just does not have at all a good relationship with her parents. And so she, you know, she's just, she's moved on, but now, you know, and she probably would have stayed gone forever, except for that now she is pregnant and she's in the middle of divorce proceedings from her husband And she's decided that, yeah, and she's decided that, you know, despite all of the baggage that she herself carries, Rosebend is the ideal place for her to raise a child because of the loving community. And as she gets home, the first person she sees is Mr. Holy Hotness himself, the mayor of Rosebend, and his name is Coltrane. And Coltrane is grieving hardcore for what he's lost and he's mired in that grief and the only thing that's kind of helped him to move forward is becoming the mayor of Rosebend and he is a man of color and so this is um you know there's a bunch of good old boys who don't necessarily love this new arrangement in Rosebend and so he's had to you know do a lot of fighting and working overtime to kind of oversell himself and overprove himself to the community. But, you know, as much as this is all very stressful for him, it's kind of good too, because it gives him something to focus on rather than the extreme grief that he has been dealing with. And Coltrane and Sydney have this instant sort of attraction that they are dealing with but neither of them are really ready to act on for different reasons. And so this book is about basically how they sort of form this reluctant friendship that sort of slowly deepens into something more. It's about a community. It's about very, very um, tangled family dynamics for Sydney and her, her parents. Um, And it's about learning how to let go of grief, how to get comfortable living with grief. It's just one of the most gorgeous things. And when I say unexpected, it sounds so snobby, but this book was more than what the description leads you to believe. It has really deep, strong emotions that, I mean, I read this book back on April 27th and 
it's still with me because of just the gorgeous writing and the really strong characterizations in this book. Um, so if you haven't checked out Naima Simone, I encourage you to, especially starting with Road to Rose Bend, Rose Bend number one by Naima Simone. It's so great. Christmas in Rose Bend, I oh. believe, will be with us in October. So everyone can, um, who's listening to this episode can see the future. Which will be that this will be part of my October picks. So I cannot wait to get back to Rose Bend. It's a beautiful town, just populated with really interesting characters who are going to make some amazing books down the road. (laughs) So I can't wait. And I can see another Christmas or a holiday um, episode. So my next book takes us in a completely different direction to a town that is not very lovely or charming. This is You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey, Crazy Stories About Racism by Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. Amber Ruffin, you may recognize from her time on Late Night with Seth Meyers. I think she now has a show of her own. And she grew up in Nebraska, where her sister Lacey still lives. And in the beginning of the book, Amber kind of talks about the ways in which living in New York has kind of gotten her away from some of the the racist language and activities that were super familiar to her growing up. And that whenever she talks to Lacey and Lacey's always telling her like all these terrible things that people say and do and think and like wonder. And, you know, they, they have these deep conversations about racism quite often. And Lacey and Amber kind of wrote this book. It is phenomenal as an audiobook. I highly recommend doing it that way because they read it and they're basically just like talking to one another, like sharing these stories in a way that feels really, really personal and intimate. Like you're just actually, you know, listening to them, like have a chat. Um, As a white person, I found some of this like necessarily uncomfortable, just sort of the idea that people really do say and think these things. Um, Things like, you know, someone didn't think that black people ate salad. And so they were really surprised to see that Lacey was eating salad in her lunch. Um, People who think somehow that like she must be descended from or related to, or maybe like a reincarnation of Harriet Tubman, because that's like the sort of famous black person that they know about. And so somehow like this must, you know, link back to Lacey. just, you know, people always thinking that she's going to shoplift from them because she's, you know, in a store and they don't want Black people in their store. People just like walking up to her and just like putting their hands in her hair without really thinking that that's a problem. Um, These are told in such, I hesitate to say this, but yet it's true, such a delightful way that you really can like see the absurdity of people and understand how like it's sort of amusing to hear these things and to like think about them as you know something that's happening to someone else but it's also very deeply disturbing to sit down and think that like this is actually how people live their lives on a daily basis that people just like walk up to you and spout nonsense like, I thought that people spouted a lot of nonsense about blind people, and I, I'm still pretty sure they do, but I don't think they spout quite the amount of it that um, they do in this little town in Nebraska. Um, so this is just an educational read, an enlightening read, but also it, it has a certain charm as you kind of watch the sisters relate to one another. Um, I, I really loved it. I don't do a lot of nonfiction, but this one I thought was was well worth the read. It's You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey, Crazy Stories About Racism by Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. So my next book this today 
is A Spell for Trouble, An Enchanted Bay Mystery, number one, by Esme Addison. Um, so this book is about a woman named Alexandra. And Alexandra has not been back to Bellamy Bay for 20 years. And since her mom's tragic death, her dad really hasn't wanted her to have anything to do with her mom's family. Well, her father has passed away and things are just going really rough with her. Um, so she works in risk management and she's decided that she is going to go to um, Bellamy Bay, which is in North Carolina. And she's going to help her aunt and her cousin with their apothecary shop. It's Ooh. well known for like um, potent teas, um, their, sa- their salves, and like stuff like that. So she's going to go and help out. And she wants to learn more about her family because she just feels like so adrift now that her father's gone. So she heads to Bellamy and she starts learning some things about her community, her, this community that she didn't realize. So she's learned that she actually has magic and that her family is actually pretty well known in this little community well especially with their apothecary shop um and so one day a argumentative customer is found dead and her aunt Lydia is accused of the murder so as all cozy mysteries go um Alexandra has decided to take it upon herself and solve the mystery because she is pretty sure like she doesn't know her aunt very well but she is pretty sure there's no way that her aunt has done this so it's really like I really liked this book like this was the first book in the series and I quite enjoyed it like I definitely want to read more um the magic was a little different but it was it was still good like it wasn't sort of like just placed in there for the heck of it. Like it, it fit really well. So this is A Spell for Trouble, An Enchanted Bay Mystery, number one by Esme Addison. I really love these sort of paranormal cozies that are coming out now. Like I'm not always a big cozy fan. Yeah. But I think paranormal mysteries like make that Um, a little bit more doable for me. My second book of the afternoon is one of my most favorite things I've ever read. And in fact, I read it again just for this episode because I love it so much. And that, my friends, is The Bride Test by Helen Huang. And this is her second novel. And, oh, God, it gave me all the, like, feels and I hate when people say that because it kind of makes me uncomfortable but I don't really know how else to say it it's just so this book is about Esme and Esme lives in Vietnam with her her five-year-old daughter her mother and her grandmother and Esme fell in deep like with a young man several years ago and had a child and that kind of changed the course of her life So instead of pursuing studies and going off to college, she is cleaning toilets in a hotel bathroom when this procession of sobbing young women in teeny tiny dresses and sky high heels comes in crying. And she's kind of like, what the hell? But it's kind of interesting, you know, in the middle of her scrubbing toilets. And then all of a sudden she's approached in the hotel bathroom of all places by an older woman who asks her after speaking with her for a short amount of time, if she would be interested in coming to America to marry her son, Kai. And she's kind of like, I mean, I don't really like, I don't even know what to say right now to this proposition. But then she thinks about the opportunities that her daughter could have if she was able to live in the US instead of in a one room house with a dirt floor where she and her mother and her grandmother and her daughter all sleep on little straw mats on the floor. 
And she decides that, you know, perhaps she could go to America and get to know Kai to see if perhaps they would suit. Kai is not at all a fan of this arrangement. He likes his life as it is. He likes being alone. He likes having no attachments. He likes living in his 70s era house with pea green shag carpet that feels great on his bare feet. He likes to be able to shut out the world there. But his mother and his older brother feel as though perhaps he's missing out on some connections in his life that could perhaps enhance his life. Kai has autism. He's on the autism spectrum. And he just thinks that he has a stone heart, that he can't feel, he can't love, he can't grieve. He just can't do these things. And so why would he subject anyone to that when he can't give back and he'll just hurt them? He's very detached from his emotions. Well, then Esme comes to the U.S. and she moves into his house and his well-ordered life is shaken up. And I do mean shaken up. And all of a sudden there's a sexy woman in his face all the damn time. She's rolling his socks differently. She's cutting down trees with his meat cleaver. She's doing all these odd things that make him uncomfortable. She's cooking with fish sauce in the morning. Good God, he had to air out his whole damn house. He couldn't even deal. But she's beautiful and kind and accepts him for who he is. But Esme hasn't been entirely truthful with Kai. So as they go through this summer together, both kind of keeping things about themselves to themselves and kind of forging this sort of fragile bond as they live together, they have to decide, you know, is this something that we could see ourselves sustaining for more than the length of a summer? Or, you know, is Esme just going to go back to Vietnam and their dreams will be over? I'm not doing this book justice because I don't want to give anything away because both of these people in their own ways, they're so freaking awkward. They're so awkward. They do things that make me uncomfortable, but that make me love them so very much. You know, they're both sort of like fish out of water for different reasons. And yet the two of them together just make the most beautiful couple. And this book is emotional. It's, you know, rich in um, family dynamics and culture and just really beautiful romance. And, you know, I'm not one who gets choked up typically during sexy times. And this one has one of the most just lovely sex scenes I've ever read. And just, I don't know, so sweet and wonderful and just all the things. And I just... I'm so glad that I got to reconnect with these characters for this episode because this book is so worth your time. Um, her first book, The Kiss Quotient, is equally as good, but I decided to focus on, I know, but I decided to focus on The Bride Test for this episode. This again is The Bride Test by Helen Huang. And I don't know if there's anybody in the world who's a romance reader who hasn't read her books, but if you love contemporary romance and you love really beautiful stories, what the hell are you waiting for? Go out and read her books. They're amazing. Oh, she's so, so fantastic. So my next book is also kind of a contemporary romance. Yay! Um, this is Dial A for Aunties by Jessie Q. Sutanto. Oh, I saw And this. she is delightful. Um, I interviewed her for the podcast a couple of months ago, and, and she's just fantastic as a person and as a writer. Um, I think she has aspirations to be like the next like Nora Roberts or something, because she is planning to write like four books in the next year. Holy crap. Yes. So she is phenomenal. And I loved, loved, loved this book. She also has a young adult thriller called The Obsession that I think Brooke has So read. good. Yes. So good. I can't wait so, till the next one comes out. So Dial A for Aunties is part rom-com and kind of part murder mystery, but not in a way that I think would make it not a Stacey Sarah book. Um, there is a murder kind of at the center of this story, but at the same time, it's also not the main focus of the story. 
So our heroine is a young woman named Medi, and Medi lives with her mother, and they own this like wedding planning business. It's Medi and her mom and her mom's three sisters. And there are like other members of this family, but it seems that whenever a boy cousin is born, he like goes to college and he just leaves. He goes off, lives his own life. And so basically it leaves Medi and her mother and her aunts kind of on their own. And that's okay. They form this business. And for the most part, they, they get along well. They have a good life. But Medi is not really into dating. She had one relationship when she was in college. And the fact that that relationship didn't really work out for her um, has kind of turned her off the whole idea of romance. So she just focuses on taking pictures. She loves photography. And, and that that's good enough. But Medi's mom really wants her to settle down with like a nice guy. So she decides that she's going to set up an account for Medi on like a dating site. And not only is she going to do that, but she's going to pretend to be Medi on the site and set her up on some dates. Um, pro tip, like don't set up dates for somebody <laughs> else. Um, it, it just doesn't end well. So Medi is very upset when she learns that her mother has done this, but she agrees to go out on this one date. And this is absolutely no good because the guy that she goes out with turns out to be a giant ass. And through a series of very unfortunate events, Medi kills him. She doesn't mean to. Like, she really wishes she hadn't. <laughs> but she did and now she doesn't know what to do because like what what would you do so she drives home and she tells her mother that she did this and now her mother doesn't know what to do and her mother says you have to call the aunties like the aunties will know what to do and so the aunties come and they hatch a plan to get rid of this body well I think, you know, it's a lot harder to get rid of a body than people seem to think. Um, I've never tried to do it, so I can't say for sure. But it seems like, you know, people have a hard time doing this. So they eventually decide that the body has to come with them in this cooler so that they can dispose of it at this big fancy wedding that they are, that they've been working on. And this wedding is on this like island resort. It's the most over the top sort of wedding ceremony like I've ever heard about. It probably cost several million dollars to set up this wedding. So they take the body in a cooler and then they're trying to figure out like how to get rid of it on the island. And of course, you know, that is very complicated. But to complicate matters even further, the owner of this resort is the man that Medi dated in college. And she hasn't seen him now in a few years. She did not know that he was, you know, kind of back in the area and he bought this resort. And so now her feelings for him and everything that kind of drove them apart when they were in college is back in the forefront of her mind, sharing space with this whole crazy idea of like, oh my gosh, I killed someone. And now my mother and my aunts are trying to help me cover it up. This is just a fantastic romp of a book. Um, it's funny in a way that actually works for me. Like funny books aren't always something I like. Um, I'm kind of particular about the humor that actually works for me. And this one really, really did. Um, I am excited to know that next year we get another book about Medi and the aunties. And it looks like the working title um, is Four Aunties and a Wedding. And apparently they will go to London for this one. And so this makes me very, very happy. Um, if you love romantic comedy, but you also are kind of looking for like that super quirky, like family feel. And if you're not opposed to a little bit of murder, I highly recommend this. It is Dial A for Aunties by Jesse Q. Sutanto. 
No, I really, really liked her young adult thriller. So I'm definitely looking forward to this one because it'll be oh, so different. Yes. It sounds hilarious. It's so lovely. Wow. I don't know how I feel about stowing a body in a cooler and taking it with me to a wedding that I'm, you know, well, organizing. <laughs> so my next book today is Spin the Dawn. The Blood of Stars, number one, by Elizabeth Lim. So this book is about a girl named Maya. And Maya wants to be a tailor. Like, she wants to be the imperial tailor. Um, The problem is Maya is a girl, and girls aren't allowed to be, like, high-up tailors. Um... One day, the royal guard comes, and her father, who was once a renowned um, tailor, has been asked to come to the palace and a tryout for the position of imperial tailor. Well, she knows that her family really needs this honor, but she also knows that her father and her brother that they just can't do it. Like her brother doesn't have um, the talent that she has and her father is an alcoholic. So he just doesn't have the ability anymore. Um, She's actually been the one behind the scenes that has been holding, like keeping their shop afloat. So she decides to dress up like a boy and she takes um, the name of her brother and she heads off to compete for Imperial Taylor. Um, At the competition, there's like a whole bunch of other people that are trying out for the same position. And there's a lot of backstabbing going on. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of like name calling and just like, it's it's quite the um, event. Well, unfortunately for Maya, she has caught the eye of the um, royal magician. Um, His name is Eden. And he thinks he knows her secret, or I think, but she's hoping he doesn't because she doesn't know like what he's going to do with this information. And then this book so like the book kind of starts out with all this like magic and stuff and then it kind of goes into becoming like more of like a fantasy journey because now she her final competition like her final um assignment is that she has to make three magical dresses for the emperor's reluctant bride so she has to make a dress out of the laughter of the sun, the tears of the moon, and from the blood of stars. Ooh. Yeah. So I really enjoyed this book. Like, I thought it was really cool. They compare a lot of, um, in the synopsis, they compare it to, like, Mulan and um, Project Runway. But I've never actually seen Project Runway and from what I've seen in the reviews, like people say it kind of sells itself short by comparing itself to that. Ah. So, yeah. So I don't think, I think it has maybe a little bit of each of those kind of show up in it, but that it's a lot more. So like if you're, if you didn't really find those two things too appealing, then it's still, I would check this out. So this is Spin the Dawn, The Blood of Stars, number one by Elizabeth Lim. She just released um, Six Crimson Cranes this month. Yeah, so that's a spinoff of this. um, That's why I decided to read this series is because I wanted to read the six, like the six Crimson Cranes. Looks really good. Yes, it does. um, From what I understand, this is like, this comes first. Ah, okay. That is very good to know. I'm kind of afraid to talk about my next book because I know that nothing I can say in this whole entire world can do this book justice or this writing or this story. 
And I almost feel like I don't deserve to try, but I'm going to do my best. And what I'm going to talk about is real Hollywood Renaissance. I know, right? Hollywood Renaissance book one by Kennedy Ryan. And you are so lucky that you told me a while ago that you want to talk about this. Oh my God. I actually was reading this book when I found out that we were going to do an authors of color episode. (laughs) And I sent Shannon a text immediately and said, may I please, 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 please talk about this. (laughs) So I think I stole it from you, didn't I, Shannon? Without meaning to. You did. (laughs) So this book is, I sort of feel like I just have to say this book is, and just like pause, because I don't have an adjective, like I said, to do it quite justice. So I'm just going to tell you about it and beg you from the depths of my being to go out and read this book. This book is about Neva Saint. She is um, a Broadway understudy. And after months and months of being behind the scenes, she gets a moment to be in the limelight in a Broadway production. And it's like a huge deal for her. Um, And she does not know that at this performance, Canon Holt, who is an amazing film producer, um, is there. And he realizes that she is the perfect, perfect, perfect person to play the leading role in his biopic that he is doing about a Black woman from the 30s named Desi Blue, who was an amazing blues singer. And so basically overnight, Neva is catapulted from sort of, you know, Broadway understudy to just being 100% of the time in the spotlight in this leading role um, in a movie that is based on a very interesting woman and also with um, a producer. And I think he wrote the screenplay as well, along with Cannon Holt. And he is sex on feet and brilliant and amazing. But Neva has decided regardless of how attracted she is to him, and regardless of how attracted to her he may be, there's, there can be nothing during the filming of this movie because it has to stay professional and above board, especially because he's had a little bit of scandal in his past and no one wants Neva to be tarred with the brush of like, you know, leading lady because she's banging the boss. So Neva begins learning more about Desi Blue. And Desi Blue is this amazingly vibrant woman back in the 30s teaching dance lessons. But her goal really is to, at some point, she's going to be a blues singer. And she has a beautiful love affair throughout the course of the book um, that I'm not going to go into. But it talks a lot about the Harlem African-American culture in the 1930s. And basically, in order to really move beyond the strictures of the day and the racism, the systemic racism, the only way for someone to really shine is to move out of the U.S. and to go to Europe, where racism is not so systemic and prevalent as it is in the States. I learned a lot about this time period um, and what it was like for Desi to be a black woman in this time period. And it was so vibrant and amazing. And I will tell you that if you read this book as an audio, you will get to hear some songs from this time period sung, which I think was really amazing. So we have a full on song, full on song, piano and everything. Piano and trumpets. Yeah. Oh, it was gorgeous. And, So we have this movie happening where, you know, Neva has the great honor of telling the beautiful life story of this woman who um, has been lost to history, but who kind of stands for so many, so many people of color of that time. And that part was gorgeous. The history was hard to read and gorgeous at the same time. Um, But back in the present, you know, Neva... Neva is, she just has so much going for her. She's 
you know, she's beautiful. She's very, very talented. Um, she's well-liked by the cast and crew, but at her core, she has deep, deep pain from a rift that has been going on for years between her and her sister. And that has sort of changed a lot of family dynamics. She doesn't really feel as though she has her family's support for reasons that I will let you discover on your own. So we have very intricate family dynamics. We have a gorgeous love story. We have some pretty significant stressors that sort of happen throughout the book to Neva to all sort of make us wonder, will this movie about Desi Blue ever come to fruition? We also have education about just things that as a white woman, I am just sort of, I've never thought about. Just even to a black woman on Broadway, who does her hair? Who knows how to style her hair? Because it's different than the hair of the white women on Broadway. And that sounds like such a small thing, but it's something that I just, I never thought about. And how if, if hair is not cared for properly, it can be damaged, critically damaged. Um, it talks about just small microaggressions. I mean, this book had everything. I am not doing it justice. It's my top read by far of 2021. Um, yes. There was so much emotion in it. Like it was almost too huge for me sometimes. I had to pause it for a minute and think and then go back. It's a book that I will definitely read again. It's the just most gorgeous start to a series. And oh my God, just go read this book. Don't take my word for it because I am not, I don't have words that adequately express what an amazing book this was. If you're not a romance reader, who gives a shit? Like, it's not all about the romance. It's about black history. It's about music. It's about life, family. Ugh, it's so good. I can't even like give you good words. So please go forth and read immediately real Renaissance, uh, Hollywood Renaissance book one by Kennedy Ryan. And then someone can come back in and give a, a much more um, cohesive and, uh, professional sounding description that I just tried to give this book. It's just amazing. The novella, um, which is 1.5 in this series is coming out in September. <gasps> and it looks what? like, yes. And it's her stylist, like her best <gasps> friend and stylist. Um, it's her story in the novella. And I think it's called like the close up. Oh and I don't God. usually like novellas, but I think I'm going to have to do this one because I really liked that character and I just really yeah, loved, I loved like, her too. where this series seems to be going. So my last book today is Revival Season by Monica West. And I've always been strangely fascinated with the idea of faith healing. Um, it's always been something that has kind of scared me a little bit. Like as a person with a disability, when I was living in Texas, especially people would like walk up to me and ask if they could pray for me and if they could like put their hands on my eyes and make me see. And it was super creepy and I never liked it. Um, but it sort of made me think about, you know, people who really do seem to believe that with their faith in God, they can heal illness and disability and all sorts of things. So I'm always really interested when we have books that sort of talk about this whole like faith healing and revival um, culture that seems to exist in parts of the U.S., like even today. So this is the story of Miriam, and Miriam is 15. She is the daughter of one of the South's most well-known Baptist preachers. And every summer, she and her parents, along with her older brother and her younger sister, pack themselves into the family minivan and they drive through all of these teeny tiny southern towns where her father gives these revivals and people flock like from all over to see him for the chance to have him um, possibly heal them. But 
one night at a revival, things don't go the way they are supposed to. And someone is not healed. And this results in this act of violence that shakes Miriam to her core and causes her to really look at who her father is, like not just as sort of the legend that society has built him into and not just as like her father, but as sort of the living, breathing human man with all kinds of flaws that up until now have just been sort of, you know, pushed under the rug. Um, she doesn't like what she's learning about her family and she doesn't like that she doesn't really know what to do about it. Once the revival season is over, they return home and Miriam begins to suspect that she herself may actually possess the power to heal. But her father has always told her that, you know, only men can heal. So she's keeping this a secret and she doesn't even know really if it's true because there's a big part of her now that doubts that what her father says he does is, is real. So like, why would this thing that she's wondering about herself be any more real than her father's? Um, it is a coming of age story in a way. Um, it's a story about faith and family. I was expecting it to be historical in some capacity. So I was really surprised when all of a sudden, like people were text messaging. I was like, whoa, okay. Like this is actually more contemporary than I thought. Um, like, you know, somebody had an iPhone. Um, it was just very, but when you first read it, like it could be sort of in, in any time, you know, where people are driving and, you know, it didn't feel dated in the sense that like you couldn't, you couldn't relate to it, but it sort of had a feel of something that was happening, you know, maybe like in the sixties and seventies rather than in the early two thousands. Um, it's a pretty quick read, but it does pack a pretty good punch. Um, I don't know, you know, that it's, it's a book for everybody. It does kind of delve into some not so great family dynamics, um, you know, things are, are a little bit dysfunctional. There are some references to abuse. Um, it's, it's a darker book, and yet I found it really, really readable. Um, I kind of sped through it, and it's one that I think will remain with me for quite a while. It is Revival Season by Monica West. That sounds like a good one. It is. So my last book for today is The Forest of Stolen Girls by June Her. And I actually read um, her book last year, The Silence of Bones, and it was so good. So I was really, really excited to read this one. This takes place in the 1490s. Whoa. So a really, really long time ago. <laughs> Um, I really liked how the book, you, could, you really felt like you were there with the characters, like the setting was so well-written. It was really well-written. Um, so our main character's name is Juani, H-W-A-N-I. I apologize if I butchered that. Um, she, her and her sister they went missing um about from what I gather it's about five years five years previously they just went missing in the forest and then they were found unconscious near the site of a murdered girl so oh. yeah and her their father is this really, really well-known detective that like is so good at his job. Um, and he's just so worried about his daughters that he takes them and they move away from their hometown, their home community. And um, I don't quite understand why, but at one point he ends up giving his youngest daughter to a shaman um, in the... Um, like in their hometown to raise. So the shaman, we find out later, 
um, is the mother of the girl that was found dead. And she ends up raising Juani's younger sister kind of as her own, but also as her assistant, assistant shaman. So now we are like we fast forwarded some years and there's a lot of like anger between the, uh, the sisters because her, her younger sister feels like her family kind of just ditched her. And there's kind of a story that links this whole situation to the girls that have gone missing. So Hwani's father has gone missing. Like he went to their hometown to start investigating because he has found out that there's been 13 other girls that have gone missing over the last like five years or so. And so being this like detective that is so good at his job, he felt that he wanted to know, like taunted to solve it because it also involves his own daughters. So um, Hawani gets one of his, um, his journals in the mail and she doesn't know, like this is after he's been declared missing, this like journal shows up and it's from a woman that we find out later that he had that he knew and that he had left his journal with because something was wrong and he didn't think he was going to make it home but he knew that his daughter his older daughter Juani that she would kind of take up the mantle because he'd been teaching her over the years to be able to do this detect to be a detective um, like obviously she can't be one because you know that's another male job but he's been teaching her over the years to do it and so she ends up coming back to the to their home community and she stays with her sister and the shaman and she starts investigating the case like she kind of starts looking at the different pieces because she remembers that her dad always said to look at the different pieces and like see where things fit. Um, don't think, don't take things at that base value. Like there's always something kind of underneath that you need to know. So Juani's younger sister kind of always looks out for her because she doesn't have the greatest sense of direction. So her parents always used to send her along with her older sister, her like her younger sister with Juani to go places so that they would know that she'd kind of get there. So her younger sister, that the reason I call her younger sister is because I don't quite remember her name. Um, and so she takes it upon herself to go and to help Juani. Like she, she tells her sister that like, I know you don't think you need me, but you're going to need me. And like, there's been situations that come along that, yeah, she definitely does end up needing her sister. And it's just been a, it's a really great story because you get the historical pieces of how life in, um, in that time period, in those, in that country, how it all, like how it all happened, like what happened and stuff. Um, they talk about tributes and how, the um the royalty the royal um emperor he would call to like communities and the community leaders would have to present some of their most beautiful women so like Juani's father always got the girls to hide on the days when he knew that this was going to happen so like his community actually didn't know for a really long time that he actually had two daughters. Oh. So I just thought that was really interesting. Um, I also just liked how her and her sister, even though they have their differences, they still look out for each other and that they, they learn to find one another again. And I thought that was really cool. So this is The Forest of Stolen Girls by June Her. I want to read this. So I have made it no secret since 2019 that I am a ginormous, huge fangirling fan of Brittany C. Cherry and everything she writes. 
from her more young adult slash new adult to everything else. She has such a gorgeous way of immersing a reader in a story. And today I'm going to talk to you about her most recent book that just came out at the beginning of July. And it's called The Mixtape. This book was hard for me to read and it might be a little hard for me to talk about because it's so deeply personal for me. This book is about Oliver Smith and Oliver is a twin. He and his brother Alex were part of this amazing singing <laughs> musical sensation. Um, and they got incredibly famous at a relatively young age. And, you know, kind of were living this life of paparazzi and sort of, you know, high profile lifestyles. Alex and Oliver are incredibly close. Alex is very outgoing, personable, just the life of the party, always knows what to say. And Oliver is the introverted songwriter who has trouble when he's not with his brother Alex because Alex kind of props him up. Well, at the beginning of our book, this is not a secret, and it's the worst part ever of any book by Brittany Cherry, Alex dies. Oh. And this was very hard for me to read, friends, because I'm a twin and I'm close to my sister in the way that Alex and Oliver were close. Um, I was compared growing up all the time to my sister and she was compared to me in a similar way. I am not a musical genius, nor is she. But, you know, in terms of, in terms of personality, I would definitely be Oliver in this scenario and she would definitely be Alex. And so this book was at times very challenging for me to read as Oliver deals with the pain over the loss of his twin that just sort of feels like a phantom limb now. And there's just this constant pain and suffering and just brokenheartedness. And how do you survive in the world without the other half of your soul? And so he begins drinking heavily to cope with his loss. But the paparazzi have been hounding, hounding him mercilessly. You know, is he crazy now? He, did he kill his brother, you know, somehow? Is he selfish? And why won't he sing again? And it's just terrible. And he's trying to get through his grief the best way that he can. But he's not doing all that well. And one day, he ends up in a bar. There are so many bars in Southern California where he could have ended up. But he ends up in the bar where Emery works as a bartender. And Emery is a single mom. And basically, they're always like one moment away, she and her daughter, from financial disaster. She's always staying like an inch ahead of financial ruin. You know, will she be able to pay if a bill comes in? Can she pay it? Can she pay so her daughter can go to summer camp? Can she pay the rent? You know, what is she going to have for breakfast today? All she has left is the heel of a loaf of bread and a little bit of jelly. So, you know, that's the kind of lifestyle that she lives. And she has worked very hard to be all that her daughter needs in a mother, in a parent, to show love, to show grace, and to show pride in who they are as a family, regardless of if they are what society would define as poor. And so she's working as a bartender when Oliver is at this bar and she rescues him from a situation with paparazzi that is quickly going out of control. And they have an encounter um, that is incredibly awkward for both of them but then sort of leads to this very unorthodox beginning of a friendship. Unorthodox in that, you know, Oliver is living this very, very glitzy lifestyle in his mansion and she is barely getting by in her small apartment. 
So it's two people who never really should have met who form this very unlikely friendship. And together, they begin sort of recovering. Oliver from his brother's death and Emery from all of the things that she has been dealing with quietly on her own. Because Emery isn't just a single mother trying to keep a roof over her daughter's head. She is a daughter who has been basically disowned from a family. Her daughter has never met her grandparents and she's never met her aunt. And her family causes no end of pain and sadness for Emery. And so together, these two very damaged people, they form a beautiful relationship that slowly deepens into something else as they both try to figure out how to continue living life and dealing with pain and loss. I'm not doing this book justice either. I loved it a lot. It was really gorgeous. Um, it's the most raw and real book I think uh, Brittany C. Cherry has ever written. Um, it just felt like I wanted Emery to be my best friend. I wanted to date Oliver. It just felt very real. Um, it felt very, it was a very immersive experience to read this book. But again, for me, it was incredibly painful. I felt like she broke me on a very visceral level and then very gently put me back together by the end. Um, this book is for music lovers. Um, there's a lot of uh, music and musicians referenced. It's a book about family and different types of love. And, you know, it's a book about moving on when the worst has happened to you and picking up the pieces and figuring out how to continue living when the one you love most in the world is gone. This book is The Mixtape by Brittany C. Cherry. And I beg you to read it because it is just the most beautiful thing she's ever written. I do want to read this. Yeah, it's, it's pretty special. Um, you know, all of her books are very emotional and a little angsty at times. Um, but this one I felt like, and I obviously I've never met this author in my life. I've never spoken to her, but this one felt like she put a lot of her soul into this book, particularly. All right. So that brings us to the end of this particular episode. Thank you for Brooke and to Stacy for being flexible enough schedule-wise so that we could uh, get this recorded, even if it wasn't at the usual recording time. Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And we thank all of you who join us each week as we talk about all kinds of fantastic books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.